We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The headlines remind us daily, the world is a dangerous place. The elites in charge say everything's fine, stop noticing, but you know better. And your gut knows that time is short to prepare for a world that is four missed meals away from chaos. My Patriot Supply has helped over three million families become more self-reliant and is the company Americans trust to prepare. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each contain delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Secure at least one food kit for each family member. For a limited time, save $200, plus get free shipping on all their Ready Hour three-month emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. My Patriot Supply also has solar power generators, water filtration units, biomass stoves, heirloom seeds, and critical survival gear. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com Welcome to another edition of the Dogger Pass Podcast. This is for UFC Vegas 6. I'm Paul Shaughnessy. We got Pat Mayo behind the sticks here. And Cody Saftik joining us from his, uh, looks like a very, very comfortable brown couch. Uh, Cody not able to come into the studio today. People complain when we just do the, uh, the phoner boards and stuff that they want to see us. They want to see us interact. I can't see Cody. You can see Cody. Uh, how are you doing, Cody? Doing very good. It's actually a beige couch, just uh, just to let everybody know. But yeah, yeah. Sorry, I wasn't able to make it in studio. As some of you know, I've got a couple of things that I'm working out. But uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Happy to join you, Paul, as always, and talk some fights. So not the most ideal setup, but I think we'll do just fine. All right. Let's uh, before we get uh, actually, let's get right into the action right off the hop here. We got the main event: Derek Lewis taking on Alexi Olinik. Derek Lewis minus two hundred favorite. Olinik is a plus 170 underdog. Um, I mean, I'm wearing an Alexi the Boa Constrictor uh, T-shirt right now. Um, as I don't know, I believe you can't see. I can't see you. You can't see me. But the people can see. So I think people know where I'm thinking is the value side of this. Um, I think it's uh, Olenek. Uh, tell me if I'm crazy or not. 
No, he's definitely the value side of it. I mean, as much as you just continually doubt, I know you don't continually doubt him, but as much as the fans can continuously doubt this guy, 43 years old, he's just so unathletic, he's plodding, he's slow, his chin's starting to get a little more vulnerable. The guy just keeps ticking, man. He's cast iron, and he's got just a wealth of skills. Those skills particularly should play out very well in this spot here. Coming in minus 170 underdog, I mean, yeah, like you said, value side. Olenek has been the value side in pretty much his entire career. When he loses, yeah, he was generally the big underdog he was there to lose. But when he wins, he always cashes those tickets as underdogs. Just going through that recent history of him, but even just like, well, not recent, but all the way back from the Jared Rochelle fight, he's a plus 300 underdog. Mm -hmm. The Travis Brown fight, he's a plus 225 underdog. He's even money against Albini and Mark Hunt, and then he's a plus... 250 underdog against Fabrizio Verdum. All this guy does is cash tickets as an underdog. So that should make you feel pretty good. If you're construing parlays, the way I, I'm more of a parlay player myself, I, I, I might be inclined to put Derek Lewis on the ticket for the simple reason of when it gets to the main event, it's an easy hedge out. I get dog money. <clears throat> uh, I, it's fine. If you just want to bet one of these guys straight up, I feel like, like you said, the value side is definitely Alexei Olenek. And if you want to pass because it's a sloppy heavyweight fight, that's something too. The consensus that's going to be under one and a half rounds. I'm not 100% I agree with that. It seemingly looks like the tale of two outcomes. Either Alexei Olenek goes out there, he takes down Derek Lewis. Speaking of that, he should go out there and take down Derek Lewis. Derek Lewis's takedown defense is absolutely abysmal. Yes, he's fought a lot of good wrestlers. It's the fact that a lot of the time doesn't even seem like he's attempting to defend these takedowns. Mm-hmm. What he is good at doing is exploding and getting back up. But against Alexei Olenek, that's difficult, man. He's got an old-timey man guard where he'll just sit in – sorry, he'll sit in your guard and just sit there. He just knows how to hold down opponents, work his way to side control, and then, of course, he's going to go for a scarf hold. He's going to go for an Ezekiel. Derek Lewis is one of these guys. He's tapped to lesser moves before. He's fought out of some moves. Generally, he's sloppy. He powers his way back up. I can see him just standing back up. I can see Olenek just taking him back down. If Olenek isn't able to take out Lewis in the first round, under round and a half, he's not going to be able to, you know, in the Fabrizio Verdum fight after a round, he's really gassed, but Fabrizio's gassed too. Mm-hmm. Fabrizio hasn't fought in two years. Fabrizio is also in his mid forties. He slows right down as well. He's not able to put Alexei Olenek away. Lewis will. So if Alexei is going to win this fight, he's got to hit that under one and a half. If Lewis can just, you know, survive for as long as he can for maybe two rounds on the ground, then even though he's going to be gassed, when they're both completely zapped, standing there, no takedowns, just swinging bombs, who are you going to take? Lewis You're still, take Derek yeah. Lewis. Lewis still so, has power late into fights. We've seen it absolutely. time and that, time that, again. That, like, think about, I remember round three. I mean, he won the round three against Roy Nelson basically on one punch, which was... Well, not only that, that but one he, that, like, he, would knock out any mere mortal and somehow big country who had a hell of a chin. Like, maybe one of, big, one of the goat chins of all time was just able to eat it and uh, that was like the only significant thing that happened in that round but so yeah Derek Lewis carries we've seen it over and over round three Lewis he can be down down super bad uh, the uh Volkov fight another fight that's what I was gonna say yeah dusted the entire time and then he lands one big one late yeah the 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 idea that Derek Lewis finishes guys in the first round like I mean it, it can definitely happen he could totally do it in this fight but he tends to kind of like to take his time. He looks like he's damn, like absolutely exhausted every single time he goes out there. Um, but he still has power. It carries well deep into the fight. I just don't. How has Lewis been training for this fight? Lewis strikes me as a guy who may come in not looking the greatest. I don't know if he. I don't know if COVID was a uh, a motivator for a guy like Derek Lewis, but I'm not sure. 
Yeah, I tend to go the other way. I tend to think that guys like Mike Perry, who probably didn't do a great job of preparing beforehand, wouldn't have been seriously affected by preparations changing. So if you're Derek Lewis, and this has been the story in Derek Lewis's career, nobody trains with him. Nobody spars with him. Nobody wants to even hold pads for him. He just hits too damn hard. He's a very difficult person to train with. And there's just not that many big boys willing to go in there and get their ass beat on the Saturday for free against Derek Lewis. So him training all by himself, if COVID was a situation that affected him, I don't think it's going to change anything. He's had knee problems. Talked about as he fought without an ACL for a long time. He's had those repaired. But I think it comes down to exactly what you said. Uh, Oh, man, that buzzer beater against Roy Nelson. Didn't knock him out. But that single punch stole him that third round, Mm -hmm. that one in the fight. I disagree with him winning that fight because he got taken down so many times. But he he survived to the end. He landed the big one, right? The Volkov fight, he completely gets his ass kicked right until the very end of the third round. Lands the punch. Only Volkov ain't Roy Nelson. Volkov tumbles over. But I draw more comparison from this matchup, more specifically, probably to the Shamil Abdurakimov fight, where it's a five-rounder. And that's the only time you get to see Lewis deep beyond those three-round buzzer beaters is he loses the first three rounds Mm -hmm. against Shamil Abdurakimov. He gets taken down four times. When he does get taken down, he can't get back up. He's useless. And then in the fourth round, Shamil is tired and stands there for one second too long, and he just absolutely clobbers him, gets on top of him, ground and pounds him out. That's that's how this fight's going to go if it isn't the under one and a half rounds. If you're Ben Lewis, I think you could even take the over one and a half and think that maybe he gets taken down the first round or two, loses the first round or two, but eventually gets this guy late. So I I think I'm going to go even money side, value side, Lexi Olenek, I see taking that shot, but I'm going to go with Derek Lewis. And when it comes down to the main event time, I'll be able to see, did I make money on the prelims? Did I make money on the props I was looking at? Are my parlays still intact? And at that point, I'm going to say, you know what, this is closer to 50-50. I want to hedge out and probably t- take Alexei Olenek. But I think that the smart play here, because it's not a crazy Derek Lewis line here. If it was minus 300 Derek Lewis, you fade him all day. But money's coming in on Alexei Olenek, and that gives you minus 200 Derek Lewis line, probably more accurate. It's just he's, he's extremely unpredictable and not the, exactly the kind of guy you can trust. But And he throws I such mean, low volume that... If it yeah. does go to decision, but he, but the strikes that he does land are so devastating. The Latifi fight I, is another example. I don't know if it's going to go. I don't think this is going to go provided. five rounds, right? Um, all no, I'm going to say about so. the you Pretty compared sure. it to the uh, Abdurakhimov fight. Uh, Olenek's submission game when he gets it to the ground is much much more more lethal. Like that's you can't even deny that when this guy gets you to the ground, like you could, you're in big trouble. I don't know if he's gonna have the strength to control and and get Lewis out of there down there. Lewis just seems to be able to push people off, explode, and get back to his feet, seemingly whenever he wants. But he'll just lie there and do nothing for about a minute and a half. Um, I don't know. It's uh, Olenek, Olenek for me or a pass. And right now it's a pass. Seems like money's coming in on Olenek. It's going to be a straight-up pass. I even looked up Olenek by submission. He was like plus 235. Not enough meat on the bone there. Um, we'll see how the week plays out. Maybe Derek uh, – I'm going to watch the way and see how Derek Lewis looks on the scales, see if see how he seems in interviews. It's always tough to read him just because he's so dry about things. But um, this it's hard. I know it's the main event. People want to pick. People want something to bet. I'm going to stay away as it stands right now uh, on Twitter at Paul Shag. If I change my mind on it, I'll, uh, I'll of course, uh, uh, say that to the people. What uh, What's up, Pat? Okay, so, Cody, you said if Lewis wins, it probably goes deeper into the fight. If you bet over two and a half rounds, it's plus 261. If you go over three and a half rounds, it's almost three to one. 
Ooh, three and a half is a lot of rounds for big. Yeah, those like yeah, see, those, those are there. tempting, but it's just it's just like Paul says. So here's the thing. Let's say let's say Alexei Olenek was a better wrestler, and I thought, okay, he's just gonna shoot that takedown right off the bat, hold him down. Yeah, no, I agree. The one thing with Alexei Olenek is because he's not a good wrestler, he just crashes forward with a bombardment of sloppy strikes. That's up. how he closes the distance. So he could definitely walk into something. And likewise, he doesn't have any knockouts on his record, like big knockouts on his record. He's got a very, very small KO percentage if you look at his wins. But uh, he throws just caution to the wind, and he's hurt a lot of guys. thing is, after he hurts them, they fall over the ground. He just submits them. So it goes down on his record as a submission win, win actuality. And, and Lewis, Lewis can take a punch, but Lewis has also shown a propensity to get hit and shy away. Once you shy away, Boa Constructor takes you down. So like, I, I'm agreeing that the logical play here is under one in a five under 1.5 my gut's telling me lewis is taking this in rounds two or three so i'm going to take the over 1.5 on a personal level and i'm going to take Derek lewis to win the fight but um yeah yeah I, you you you're it's going to be a sweat the whole time it's going to be the sweat because alexei olenek is 43 he does not want to fight more than one round and Derek lewis had popeye's chicken for lunch he also does not want to fight for more than one round <clears throat> he's a one-round fighter he'll tell you that himself you know don't get paid overtime don't get paid to go five rounds it's the main event Fans want to KO. Derek Lewis understands that. Lexi Olenek understands that. They're going to fight for a quick finish. My gut's telling me it goes over one and a half. So when you offer two and a half and three and a half props, very tempting, nice price. But it's like, it's a, that's a lot of time to work with for sure. The major hesitation, and we're going to move on to the next fight after this, is um, Olenek like, tips the scales at like 229, former middleweight, obviously an older guy who just doesn't really want to cut weight anymore. And he's had a whole bunch of wins at the heavyweight limit, but... He comes in at like 229 last time out. Lewis cuts probably about 15 pounds to get to 266, like the top of the heavyweight limit. He's going to have 50 pounds on him. So Linux on top of not having the greatest gas tank and having to probably get this fight to the mat to try to get rid of Derek Lewis, he's going to have to be pushing around an extra 50 pounds more than his body weight. Tough task for anybody. Um but I think the path is there. So, yeah, it's a pass for me right now as we, uh, on, uh, at the point of this recording. Uh, we got Chris Weidman taking on Omari Akhmedov. Weidman, minus 135. Akhmedov, plus 115. This was like a pick em not too long ago. And some money has started to come in on the Chris. I like the fact that Chris Weidman back down to middleweight. This is like the, the move up to 205 has not fared well for pretty much just about anybody. That's a... 20 pounds and the size of the guys at 205 just it's a different ball game up there altogether I agree with the line movement um but it'll be interesting to see how Chris I feel like when they opened it as a pick the books are basically telling you that Chris is completely washed but Omari Akhmedov not exactly a power puncher I mean Chris I would be surprised if he got like out grappled taken down and controlled like that I think Chris has the sharper, uh, faster hands, and he's a little bit more mobile on his feet. I like Chris Weidman quite a bit in this fight. Um, What about you, Cody? No, I I agree. I think that Chris Weidman should be the clear favorite in this spot. He's got the back class. Yeah, he hasn't. He's looked spotty in his last few fights, no doubt about that. But he's losing to just the absolute creme de la creme, best guys. Luke Rockwell, world champion, especially at that time before he was chinny. Yo Romero, Olympian, you know, multiple world title challenger. Gegard Mousasi, completely 
Giant Badass, Bellator World Champion, Jacques Ray Souza, BJJ Champion, World Title Challenger, Dominic Reyes, World Title Challenger, arguably beat John Jones's last time out. That is one hell of a run, man. So you can discredit this guy as much as you want and be like, oh, man, he can't take a punch no more. It's like, those are the best guys in the world. Amariak Madoff, <clears throat> if you go on the UFC's rankings, they say he's a top 15 guy. Like, he's hovered around a top 15 guy most of his career. But, I mean, he's fought at welterweight. At 185, he's undersized. He's just super strong that he can kind of get away with it. His style is just grinding. But there's a lot to like about Chris Weidman in this spot. Mostly that if you're if you're worried about, oh, geez, maybe Weidman can't take the punch anymore. Akhmedov won his last six fights by decision. Mm-hmm. The guy does not. Brian Ebersol blew his knee out. Outside of that, he is not going to knock a person out. I don't think he lands that big shot on Chris Weidman. Flip side to that, Weidman, yeah, maybe his wrestling pedigree is enough to get Akhmedov down, but certainly just keep the fight standing. When he keeps the fight standing, he's got the better, sharper technical punches. Akhmedov wings punches, but he wings punches to close the distance and get a hold of you. Winging those punches against Weidman, if they're not going to knock him out and you're just going to close the distance and get a hold of him, then I think it's going to play in his favor. Again, when you look at Weidman's striking numbers as well, he's fighting world-class guys and he's still able to land at a significant clip, at a good clip. Looks good until he does, until he gets caught. Akhmedov, it's, it's, that's not the case. And again, when you look at Weidman, it's like, man, he's dominating Rockhold in that fight. He's doing good. Well, I shouldn't say dominant. He's doing good until the stupid spinning back kick blows it for him. The Yo Romero fight, he's looking good, man. He's looking until good he's early. And then he starts, yeah, he starts to fade, and then that flying knee just decapitates him. The Gegar Mousasi fight, it's like, I, I didn't think he looked bad until the knees just completely rendered him unconscious. The, the Jacques Ray Souza fight, man, he looks good. Until Jacques Ray Souza catches him. And then the Reyes fight, he's non-competitive. Non-competitive. And I feel like that's why the line is where it is. Is that they're seeing him come off that fight, which is a 2 of 5, against a guy that arguably just beat Jones. Mm-hmm. And I think that's making people be like, oh, you know what? I think I think Wyman's a little bit shot. I don't 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 lie. love Wyman in this spot. So now here's, here's the one argument that I want to make. Is that Wyman's looking good early in those fights. And then these absolute world-class, outside of the Reyes fight, of course, these absolute world-class engineers, these world-class operators, as Robin Black would say, these artists, these guys are catching him in the third round. Akmeriuk Madoff, he's getting tired in the third round. He's not coming on in the third round. He himself is trying to have a good first round or two, hopefully steal the first round or two, because he's going to fade in the the third round. He has looked better at 185. His gas tank has looked better at 185. But this is a good line, man. This is Widener 135. Like you said, it was a pick of a few days ago. So I think you have to take a shot on Chris is not fully done yet. Going back down to 185 shows the commitment level. He doesn't appear to be injured. And then just from checking out interviews with him, it seems like he's motivated, wants to kind of show people, hey, man, I'm hanging with the best guys in the world. And now you're writing me off against Omari Akhmedov. Like, it just doesn't make any sense, right? So maybe it's a trap line. Maybe he is as shot as everybody's putting him out to be. But I just don't, I just don't believe it, right? 36 not not the not a young age for a middleweight you know like you're gonna start to fall apart but they're not putting him up against one of these young contenders on his way up or you know and, and the last point i want to make on this is that if i was the ufc and well i, I guess i couldn't because i couldn't really bet it if i was the ufc but i would have made wyman Akhmedov the main event because wyman beats Akhmedov in a five rounder all day right but in a three rounder it's possible that Akhmeri, or omari is just very strong and very physical and maybe win some of these clinch exchanges and grinds out a couple rounds. I don't know. But then I would flip it. I would make Lewis Olenek a three-rounder because there's no there's no sense in this thing being booked five and give me Weidman. But I think Weidman's taken so much damage in his career. He's just happy to be in a three-rounder. 
and be able to showcase what he's capable of. So give me Chris Weidman, minus 135. Won't have him on everything, but I do feel good about him. All right, and then let me just get two more points I wanted to add into that before we move on. One, I hope Chris Weidman's dietitian was not Jean Volante because we don't <laughs> want Chris to be coming in full Jean. I'm sorry, it's, uh, it's, full, uh, it's full Collier now. Um, but you, you, well, know, you, you guys know what Sarah? I mean. And He's fine, a former lightweight. And my other point, 78-inch reach for Chris Weidman, 73-inch reach, former welterweight, uh, for Akhmedov. So if we're going to be keeping this fight on the feet, we think that he has the better technique, speed. Um, he should be able to land that jab at will with a five-inch reach advantage, you would think. Um, so, yeah, I think it's, I think it's Chris Weidman or... Uh, yeah, yeah. Or, uh, I, I, will, I will add... Yeah, dude, I will add one last thing on that is that you mentioned it. Omari Om- Akhmedov, I mean, he was a very strong physical welterweight. As far as fighting at 185, I mean, they've given him very winnable opponents. Oh, he looked good against Ian Heinish. Yeah, I, I get it, but those are winnable fights. But he's a former welterweight up at 185. Whereas Weidman didn't look terribly out of place at 205. It just wasn't the weight class for him. He's the much bigger guy. So when you consider he took down Luke Rockwood three times, he took down Yo Romero. He took down Musasi four times. He took down Kelvin Gastelum seven times. Took down Jacare. Took down Dominic Reyes. Can he not take down Amari Akhmedov, a former welterweight? We sure about that. Remember Gastelum, the former welterweight? Mm-hmm. Remember how physically outgunned he was against Weidman? Yep. Now, Weidman's 36 now. But because I don't think that the chin's going to be an issue against this type of power puncher, um, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ride with it. Yeah, and I think Omari's, um, Omari's bigger than Kelvin, and he's definitely filled out a lot better uh, for a, a welterweight. Like, he's pretty strong. He's got, he's got abs. You know, it's not like Ka- uh, Kelvin, who kind of just looks like he isn't able to uh, cut 15 pounds. Um, but, yeah, it's Chris Weidman. It's Chris Weidman for both of us. Uh, let's, I mean, the card kind of drops off pretty hard um at this point but hopefully there's some plays in the mix we have darren stewart taking on mackie patolo darren stewart uh minus 170 favorite mackie patolo coconut bombs plus 150 who you got here yeah i mean again i think when you look at this on paper it looks like it's striker versus striker bit darren stewart he's got some nasty strikes mackie patolo coconut bombs as you mentioned these are these guys are going to stand in there they're going to trade I don't think it's that simple. I mean, I think Darren Stewart's going to try to flip the script and just take this fight to the ground. When you look at his striking numbers, he's a good striker, but he's not a volume type guy. He doesn't want to get into a scrap. He doesn't want to get into a war with you. He doesn't mind trying to take guys down. And again, you just look through his record, the Julian Marquez fight, four takedowns, the Edmund Shabazian fight and the Duran Wynn fight are better examples where he's taking these guys down, at least attempting to take these guys down, just secure one against either of them, uh, against both of them, I should say. So he's trying to get the fight down if he's out, if, if he's maybe outgunned a little bit in the striking department. Against Patolo, that's his key. He's just going to go out there, and he's going to throw hands. But there's such a glaring hole in his grappling game that why would you why would you throw hands with him? If you're chasing 50 Gs, I get it. Want to get a fight of the night. Want to throw down with this guy. But Darren Stewart's coming off an embarrassing loss to Bartos Fabinski, our boy. Cash that underdog ticket on Cage Warriors. Yeah. But it's embarrassing because he's a UFC fighter, okay? Coming off the biggest win of his career over a prospect at the time, Deron Wynn. And Scott, hey, man, this guy's looking good. He's still only 28 years old. He's getting better. He's making improvements. His wrestling game's improved. His striking is where his bread and butter was at. His cardio's improved, and he's taking people into deeper waters. He was the only guy that showed Shabazian any types of look prior to Brunson kind of half exposing him a little bit. Um, Yeah, there's a lot to like about him, but... He took a fight for cage warriors outside of the UFC and then got clowned coming in as a good size favorite and just was not in it at any point. Bartos does that to people. 
that coming back here, it's like, you got to give a good of your count of yourself. And, uh, and I think that he needs to get the win more than he needs to have some slugfest where he drops another fight. Um, again, look at Mackie Patolo. I, I like Mackie and we were on him in the Charles bird fight again, another underdog play, Patolo but you can't two. overlook the fact. Yeah. You can't overlook the fact that the Callum Potter fight is just, just a glaring he's taken down three times against Callum Potter in the Charles bird fight. The first round he's taken down multiple times. Even when he lands on top, he just gets reversed back on the ground. His grappling looks a tad suspect His takedown defense definitely looks suspect, but if you're going to stand there and throw punches with them or get tired, he's going to win. Charles bird's known for that. Charles bird's known for quick start winning the first round, getting tired in the second hell. Darren Stewart did quite literally the exact same thing to him. Lost the first round, tired him out a little bit took over in the second and knocked him out in the second. It's kind of the exact same thing. So Patolo has his way. He just wants to stand there. He wants to throw punches. He's the better technical boxer. He's got better hands on him, and he's going to throw a little bit more, a little bit crisper. Power, I would say, is pretty comparable. I don't see him knocking out Darren Stewart, but I do see him winning those hand exchanges. It's whether Darren Stewart's able to strike enough to keep it close, keep it competitive. Maybe it's starting to slip away a little bit from you, but then land that takedown. You got to go with the pass on this. The line's just not good enough. Darren Stewart's what? Minus 185? Minus um, 170 plus 150 is what I have. But I mean, okay. of course. So money coming on Patolo, rightfully so. At. Because, yeah, I would cap this much lower. I do think that the takedowns are going to be the key and that Darren Stewart's able to edge this one out in a relatively close decision. I don't like the price on it personally. So my play would here, well, the play I would give out, I mean, the smart play is the pass. The, the play that yeah. I'm going to give out on the show is that I'm going to take a Darren Stewart by decision. I mean, Darren's, my concern about any sort of bet involving Darren Stewart would be if you think that he has to go get takedowns. I mean, think about, think about that Marquez fight. I'm sure his cardio has improved, but that's because he hasn't been utilizing the wrestling as much in these, in these other fights. What happened against Marquez? Well, he took him down, what, four times in round one or maybe three times in round one, one time in round two, and then he got submitted. I actually cast a, what, 11 to 1 or was it 14 yeah, to 1? It was the, the first only was time the, Marquez had submitted anybody. 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 Um, I ended up cashing that one just because I was like, oh, Darren Stewart likes getting tapped. Um, well, he doesn't like it. It just happens to him all the time. Um, having to rely on him to get a takedown, ew, keep me away from that altogether. But I, uh, Patolo seems incredibly undersized for 185 pounds. So I don't really have much faith in him either. Yeah, it's a, it's an easy fight to stay away from for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the only thing I would say to counter that point would be that when he came into the UFC, he didn't look good at all, man. He loses to Francis Barbarossa. I think it was a no contest in the end. But uh, then he, he fights Francis Barbarossa straight up. He loses. That first one was a head, but that was a no contest. I think that's why he won, but it was no contest. Fights him legitimately, loses, taken down seven times, doesn't look good. Fights Carl Roberson, submitted by Carl Roberson, Takedown defense doesn't look good. Julian Marquez taken be, beaten up a little bit, looked decent, tires out, gives up the guillotine choke. It's then he went on that run, beat Spicely, beat Charles Bird, give Edmund Shabazian a good fight, lost a split, beats Bavon Lewis as a big underdog, beats Deron Wynn as a big underdog. Now he's 29. That's the difference between 25 when he breaks into the UFC and 29. Now he's fought better guys. Now he's fought at a better level. Now he's making improvements. He's looking good. The only thing that derails him, is Bartos Dubinsky. And Paul, you are the only other guy on the planet, I feel, that would understand why that's no big deal because Bartos does that. Bartos so, has a that's chin why I'm gonna give and, and sticks to a game plan of taking you down and just sitting in your guard. That's that's it's what sick. we do with Bartos. It's sick. It is it's, a money maker. It is because he's always underappreciated. 
Yeah, yeah. God but yeah, that's Arthur's. that's pretty much the point on this fight. So yep. I think we can move on comfortably. But yeah, yep. pass could be the good option. Absolutely. We got uh, Yana Kunitskaya taking on Julia Stoliarenko. Kunitskaya minus 235 favorite. Stoliarenko plus 195. Do you have any thoughts on this one, Cody Saftik? I'll steal your Renko. <laughs> did I uh, did I mention something a second ago about uh, probable best move was a pass? I mean, this could be it as well. In fact, if you just want some type of random punt play, I think you go with Stolyarenko because arm barbs from guard. Mm, they're alive and well. Minus one ninety five underdogs is the flavor of the month, buddy. Because it's just it's so unpredictable, and the way she fights, especially is exactly like that. She is reckless, man. You, you look at her record, this shows a lot of quick finishes, quick finishes, quick finishes. She was a contender. Uh, she was on UFC, um, Ultimate Fighter, fought 145 pounds, didn't look good. Lost to Penny Kianzad, lost to Leah Letson, doesn't make it beyond that in the UFC, goes back home and fights a very, very low level of competition and just runs through them. But to her credit... Again, this was she was 25 when she was in the UFC last. Now that difference between 25 and 27, it looks like she's rounding herself out. So according to her MMA record, it looks like she hasn't really fought anybody outside of that last fight from Victor, of course. Um, and she's just finished them all armbar in the first round. Paul, four straight armbars in the first round. Against Lisa Verzova in Invicta, she pulls guard like half a dozen times just to attack the armbar, just to go to the armbar. I don't see Yana Kunitskaya getting armbar. I haven't seen half of these girls getting armbarred, but they do. It just happens. So I would not really want to bet. I just don't want to bet Kunitskaya as the favorite. So now flip side to that, it's like Storyenko, I don't want her pulling guard because Kunitskaya just ends up on top of you. You give up round. I- I'm cool that she attacks. I'm cool that she's aggressive. I'm cool that, you know, her last fight against Lisa, it was for the Invicta title. It went five rounds. Her cardio looked good. She's so raw. She's so green. Like, she reminds me of, and this, this is crazy, she's a green version, a developing version of Justine Quiche, who's just a wild, very green fighter. She's talented, but she's mostly just very, very strong and aggressive. And that's the same thing you see out of Julia. She's very strong. She's very aggressive. She has a willingness to go forward. That fight against Lisa, it is a bloodbath. Poor Lisa's got like an axe-sized wound in the front of her face, but likewise, Julia's got a lot of damage. So I look into Julia, man. This girl's crazy. What's the background? All she's doing is going for arm bars. She shows arm bars in 30 seconds, 19 seconds, and 20 seconds in three of her last four fights. Just loves throwing up that armbar, which has cost people money in the past. That's what I'm saying. It's dangerous. But what, what has she got beyond that? Turns out decent amount beyond that. Um, she's spent a decent amount striking. And also she's like the Japanese leftway champion, traveled to Japan, won a one-night tournament, and also beat this really good uh, fight, f- fighter that was from Myanmar. For those of you who don't know who leftway is, it's Burmese bare-knuckle boxing. She's 3-0 in, the, in that sport. And, uh, and the champion, when you watch her fight in MMA, it's not super technical. And trust me, Burmese bare knuckle boxing is technical. It's just, she's just swinging for it. But I think that goes to her toughness that she can just keep going. She just comes through whatever you got and keeps coming. And that's, that's the last reason I think it's a little bit dangerous against Yana Kunitskaya is Yana Kunitskaya is the superior fighter. She's the better fighter. She's got, I think she's got better wrestling. I think her striking is, is crisper, but she takes a lot of damage, man. And you, you look no farther, Chris Cyborg, that doesn't matter. She'll do that to anybody. But you look no farther than the Marion Renault fight. She wins the first two rounds. She looks good. In the third round, she is busted, pillar to post, bleeding everywhere. There's a really famous picture of her in the hospital. And it's like, oh, my God, this girl won the fight? Like, you're kidding me. And then she follows up that fight, getting knocked out by Aspen Ladd, or getting TKO'd by Aspen Ladd. My baby, again, 
no discredit there. She's fighting top contenders. She should win this fight. No, She's rightfully on. so. Aspen Ladd's not a top contender. Give your head a shake. Dude, there's just the division so thin that if yeah. you think she's not a cop, she's not a top contender she's based on the contender. skills that she's showing you, but she is a top contender based on the talent pool. Cody's wearing an Aspen Ladd t-shirt right now. I'm pretty sure. It's a fight now t-shirt actually, him, but... but Aspen Ladd is the number one contender in my heart. Um, yeah. Okay. So now you're getting TKO'd by Ladd, who's not a power puncher, but just a complete volume puncher, but you took a lot of damage against Renault. We're able to survive against Mary or against uh, Aspen Ladd. You're taking a lot of damage, not able to survive. And now you're getting this young, hun- hungry Lithuanian fighter who's wild and reckless and just goes for it and throws elbows and throws kicks. And her head kick is fast, man. It comes out of nowhere. There's not a lot of zip on it. It's more of a snappy head kick. But all this stuff just accumulates over time. And I got a feeling this is a live dog. We haven't really talked about a whole lot of live dogs. The last two um, weeks, it's mostly favorites. We got owned last week. Dogs cash in the co-main and main event. We're not on either of them. This, this this screams pass because of, you know, the division and the notoriety of the unpredictability. But, I mean, geez, plus 195, it's a bit of a risky shot. But if you're going to play any side of this, it's going to be the dog. So, once again, this is going to be a dog or pass. Name of the show, baby. Got to get that branding out there. Shout out. Pimp it's it. a dog or pass for me. We got Benil Darius taking on Scott Hot Sauce Holtzman. Um, no, it's Trevor Hot Sauce, right? I just messed Scott up. Hot sauce, Holtzman. Scott Hot Sauce. What's uh? Trevor Smith, Hot Sauce Trevor's, Smith. Yeah, they're both Hot Sauce. Um, we got the uh, Darius minus one seventy favorite. Uh, Holtzman can be had for plus one fifty. I mean, I guess the narrative here would be Benil Darius isn't able to take damage. He's got a really questionable chin. Holtzman hasn't been a, a potent finisher by any stretch of the imagination at any point in his career. Um. Benny probably has the cleaner technique. Holtzman probably a little bit more active, but he's not exactly like crazy active. I don't know if Benny's going to be able to get him to the ground. I don't know if his wrestling is, or if he's strong enough. Holtzman, you know, very, very strong for the weight class. I don't know. Like I know that, like, you know, Lentz was able to do things against Holtzman, but uh, Darius, I just don't know if the wrestling's quite there. I've lost some money on uh, betting Darius in the past. Another fight that I'm, I'm not too excited about playing. When we talk about DraftKings, 9,100, that's, I mean, you're, you'd have to be chasing a, a Benil Darius first-round submission, which is obviously in the cards, but um, not something that I would be prioritizing uh, in this fight. Do you have a hot take on this one, or, or are you passing on this one like me? Hot take on hot sauce? No, no. I mean, this this is why MMA is just such a cruel sport. I mean, Benil Darius, how in the world does he lose this fight? I mean, you look at the fact that his wrestling is better than Holtzman's, no doubt about it. His grappling, his jiu-jitsu is better than Holtzman's, no doubt about it. His striking, he's more diverse, he's cleaner, he's got more output, he is a better striker than Scott Holtzman. But Benil Darius, five years younger than Scott Holtzman. And he's being held together on a shoestring, Paul. And that is just incredibly worrisome. He's on a four-fight winning streak, but he literally does not make it look easy, man. I mean, the Drew Dober fight, and Drew Dober's a beast. He's putting it on him pretty good in that first round, but he rallies. Obviously, the Alex Hernandez fight out of left field just took one shot. That goes to show you where his chin's at. Has he got a cast iron chin? No, he probably doesn't. The Edson Barbosa fight was like the real the real eye opener. You remember how you remember that like image of Benil Darius, like basically out on the canvas 
looking into no- nowhere land after that flying knee. Mm-hmm. That kind of changed him because in the Evan Dunham fight, he gets a good start and then completely falls apart, takes a lot of damage. The Alex Hernandez fight is compromised right off the bat, knocked down in 42 seconds. The Dober fight takes a lot of damage in the first round. And then most surprising to me was the Drakkar Close fight. Drakkar Close hasn't knocked out a man in five years. He's got, I think, nine fights in the UFC. All nine of them have gone to decision. Or sorry, his last nine fights have gone to decision. I think he's got like seven fights in the UFC, six or seven. All of them have gone to decision. He's not a power puncher. He's not a finisher. He's a point fighter. An entertaining one. I like him, by the way. And he's well-rounded. He's a generalist. He had Benil Darius seriously hurt. And then that begs the question that anybody in the division could theoretically at this point hurt this guy. So if you're going to bet him as a favorite at any point, it's going to be a sweat. You're going to bet him at minus 170, not a bad price tag, but it's going to be a sweat because Holtzman just needs to keep him up and hurt him. But again, only 31 years old. I think he's still got a little bit of miles to go. I don't think he's completely shop worn. I think he's, he's going to go a little bit longer. If he doesn't get into a gunfight with Holtzman and just takes him down, well, then he's not going to take any damage. It's when these superior strikers or these good wrestlers keep him standing and beat him. Holtzman's been looking good lately. But Holtzman's been looking good against a limited level of competition. This is a top 10 contender here. This is a guy that's fought the best guys in the sport and generally given a pretty good account of himself. But Neil Darius is just a superior fighter. So as long as he doesn't get hit by that shot, he should be fine. And then the last thing I want to make on it is, geez, you know, do I want to bet Cheney Darius on a minus 170 of this and that? Yes, I do. As I mentioned, he's won his last four fights. So it's not as if he's winning one fight, losing one fight. He yeah. has been fairly consistent over his last four. But beyond that, this fucking guy fights for you, man. He's hurting in the Drew Dober fight. He's hurt bad. And he gets him to the ground and arm bars his ass. Badass. The Drakkar close fight. He's stanky legging, Paul. But he recovers and he knocks. By the way, who knocks out Drucker close? Nobody. As I mentioned, he's True. a decision fighter. You don't finish him. You don't finish you. You don't finish him. This Benil Darius got all the skills. It's just your God gives you a, a chin. Maybe you believe in God. Maybe different God. Whatever your theory is, you're born with a chin, an ability to take a punch. Either you got it or you don't. Benil doesn't seem to have it. He seems to take a lot of damage in those fights. That's a little bit worrisome. But he has got the skill. He's got the technique. And I'm of the favor of skill and technique wins you the majority of the time. Minus one seventy, not the worst price tag. Got to roll with Benil Darius one more time. This is next one is very interesting, Cody. And it's almost like a, a direct attack at you. Lariano Steropoli is a minus 140 favorite against your boy, Tim the Dirty Bird Means. They're telling you that Tim Means is dust at this point. Is he dust, Cody? You know what? I think if he, depending on the type of fight that he chooses to go in there with, he could very much be a, a, in the dust category. Tim Means is another one of these guys. I don't think he's as good as Benil Darius. I truly don't. But skill-wise, it's like, what does this guy do wrong, man? Like, his striking is pinpoint, super accurate. He's got a good amount of pop. His elbows are just devastating. His knees in the clinch, devastating. Guy can wrestle pretty good. His ground game's not bad. And whereas Benil Darius was born with a soft chin, it appears that Tim Means was born with a soft heart. That's the big difference between him and a guy like Darius. As I mentioned, Darius fights for your money. He's to the death, man. This guy will do whatever he can to keep in the fight and fight it off. Whereas Tim gets hurt and Tim topples over. Tim gets tired. Tim topples over. Tim's super inconsistent. If you look at his record, it's just a picture of inconsistency. He hasn't won back-to-back fights in five years. He just he wins no. one, he loses one. He shows you. Know you it shows is you, happening. You know what is happening? He's got an Njaquani uh, effect here. Sergio Moraes, no, I mean, Ricky he's... Rainey, win. Nico Price, yeah, but... loss. Tiago Alves, win. Daniel Rodriguez, loss. Lariano Steropoli, 
the well I, i'm going with the maybe. win yeah no i yeah right right beyond that theory i'm going with the win but it, again it's gonna come down in my opinion to how he wants to proceed with this fight tim means needs to realize that he is now caesar mutanche ferreira and needs to just take the fight to the ground mm-hmm. he is more than capable of taking guys down but especially in this matchup Liriano Staropoli has shown good striking. He's shown volume striking. But the guy hasn't shown a propensity to wrestle. Thiago Alves is not a wrestler. He gets him down. That's fine. But it's Muslim Salikov. He made Muslim Salikov look like a pretty decent wrestler, which, which he's just not. He's a kung fu specialist. He's a sandus specialist. He's got good striking. And in that fight, Sultan when he wanted... Spin. Yeah, he's strong. And when he wanted Staropoli down, he took Staropoli down. It didn't seem like Staropoli had a whole lot of answers for the takedowns in that in that fight. When you look at Tim Means, Tim Means has just made such a big career on going out there and dicing guys with his striking. Man, this guy's a good striker. Tim Means likes to strike. But Tim Means, there's been a few fights where Tim Means has realized, I don't want to strike with this guy. The Ricky Rainey fight was actually a good example of that. I don't really want to strike with this guy. So he goes in and he shoots takedowns. The first Alex Oliveira fight, it's a no contest, but he shoots the takedowns, get to that clinch, and then it's an, an illegal knee. He has shot in takedowns in the past. You don't see it much from him because he just loves to strike. He has to be real with himself. And if he is real with himself, he'll realize striking's not the best path to victory anymore for me. I need to strike long enough to get the guy down. But the one issue with that, which is why Timmy probably still should be the underdog here, is that he's got a bad gas tank and mm-hmm. str- wrestling is tiring, man. Tim can strike longer because he's done it his whole life. He's a better striker. I mean, he can throw strikes. He gets sloppy. He becomes hittable, but at least he can still throw strikes. When you get wrestling, that tires you out. And Steripoli is he looks pretty durable. If Tim does go out, take him down and win the first round and look good like he has looked good in the past, what's to stop him from just gassing out again, which he's done many of times. So the best path is probably the pass. I'm thinking dogger pass. I think Tim goes to that wrestling, surprises a few people, and maybe maybe gets back on the winning trail. But I mean, you can't feel good about this fight. Tim has let us all down. You can say you've cashed tickets on him, but there is a hundred percent likelihood he has cost you tickets in the past. I don't think I've ever met anybody that could look me in the eye and been like, never yet. Well, unless you just start betting. If you've bet in this guy throughout his career, you've lost money on him. I'm mm-hmm. almost sure of it. Because he's been he's a got favorite still, in a lot of these. He looks good. Spots. He's entertaining. Best thing about Tim Means is being a fan of the sport. Don't bet it. This guy doesn't let you down. Either he puts it on him and he's super entertaining and you love it, or uh, he, he dies on his shield in the process and it's super entertaining and you love it. But as far as betting him, it's just you just don't know what version you're getting out of him. And then I think with him being starting to get there up in age, you talk about his wear and tear, but he's also 36 years old. He's low-key 36 years old. You don't think he's that old. He's 29 and 12 and 1. He's got 33 pro fights under his belt. 32 f- pro fights under his belt, sorry. It's like, sorry, 42. I'm a mass off here. It's like, man, 36, lots of fights, has a propensity to just fall over after the first round. The young kid, Steripoli, should get the win. You should pass on this fight. But I don't, I don't love Steripoli, especially not as the favorite. I'm going to hit a pass or have that smallest little sprinkle on Dirty Bird. At least I know I'll be entertained from it. Okay. Uh, we got Kevin Holland taking on Joaquin Buckley. This is a fight that was kind of added to the card. Very short notice. Kevin Holland was obviously supposed to take on Trevin Giles at uh, last weekend's card. Trevin Giles, moments before the fight, uh, completely uh, faints. Uh, fight is canceled. People on tra- <laughs> with DraftKings lineups. Like, I don't know. That, that, that was almost kind of the perfect conclusion to, like, uh, the week. It's, it's not on anybody, but it's just, like, so many cancellations. And then if you had Holland, who ended up being kind of one of the 
more popular options up top, and you kind of just well, you took a zero. Um, it was yeah, pretty pretty disastrous for a lot of people's lineups. I saw a lot of like great looking lineups that had like five guys over a hundred points, and then Kevin Holland. What are you gonna do? You know, they, yeah, I think they those ones be- still cast with just like if Kevin Holland had went out and had a great performance. You know, they're clearing like 700 points. They're winning all of the bucks. Uh, that's just the way that these games go sometimes. What are you going to do? But uh, he actually, in his post-fight press conference, said, like, he told his son when he's leaving that, you know, he had to go to Vegas, take care of business. Uh, he's moved out to, I believe he owns a house out in uh, Texas now. So he hasn't been training in Vegas uh, for at least over COVID. Um, so he said that he wanted to get onto this card this week. Because he's like, I can't go back to my son. I, I didn't. I didn't complete the job. I gotta. I gotta beat somebody up on TV for, for my son and everybody else to see. So they gave him Joaquin Buckley, kind of signed right off the street here, and um, minus four twenty-five plus three forty. Um, that line's pretty fresh. By the time people are even listening to this, it may be even wider. Um, anything? Anything you like about Buckley here? Is it uh, Kevin? Kevin Holland should. Uh, Kevin Holland should roll what do you think yeah kevin holland should roll i don't think i'd ever bet kevin holland again beyond minus 300 um again he's unpredictable and he's green too man he's 27 but he makes a lot of mistakes the striking looks fun right it looks yeah it looks like he's six foot three frame he's long he's 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 getting craftier he's starting to tighten up a little bit his fundamentals are getting better but, I mean, we've seen him gas. We've seen him get hit. We've seen him get taken down. We've seen him make a lot of mistakes. It's that we all have a belief in him that he's going to improve and continue to improve. But he's not one of these guys that just wakes up tomorrow and is a top contender. He's going to have to fight five of these guys. He's going to have to fight a bunch of Anthony Hernandez. He's going to have to fight a bunch of those guys and grow and get better, and then I think he should be good. So betting him as a minus 425 opener against anybody is, is not a great uh, prospect. And then beyond that, yeah, he could get to five or six because he's everybody's darling right now. He smokes out Fluffy Hernandez. Smokes him. He's already, 39 seconds. He's already people, minus 500. Already minus 500. It'll be time minus it took 600 me to say by the time sentence. people listen to him. Or by the time people listen to this. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Is that money's going to come in because he smokes out Hernandez. And then we're all like, oh, dude, so sick, so sick. And they book him right away as Daniel Rodriguez. And everyone's pounding money on him. Everyone's pounding money on him. The fight gets canceled. You know what happens when you're pounding a guy? Money on him. Fight gets canceled. Oh, man, I would have won that. <laughs> I know I sound pounding the guy. Yeah, I know. I heard a laugh there. Don't I'm, be pounding guys on my I'm watch. Silly. Anyways, um, yeah, just I think when the line movement starts to come in and then the fight gets canceled, it's like, oh, man, they just cost me money. They cost me money. I would have won that one. Now the Trevin Giles fight, we're all betting him again, oh, boy. Oh, I think Giles is going to fold over after two, and then Colin's going to knock him out. Money's rolling in him. Everybody's happy. Giles faints backstage. Oh, man, he would have won me money again. Now you got this idea that he just won you money three times in a row. In fact, he has. Mm-hmm. He beat Anthony Hernandez. Got an abysmal record in the UFC. Doesn't seem to be a top plot. Seems top very undersized. Plot. Yeah, yeah, and and Joaquin Buckley is going to be very undersized here as well. Okay. He should beat Joaquin Buckley. I just mean the the prospect of betting him at minus five hundred now minus six hundred now wherever the line ends up getting to. It's just too much for me. So I want to see him continue and make those improvements and get better and better. But it looks like the price is going to be a little crazy. I mean, you can go, you can attack him on DraftKings. Yeah, that's, depending but there is not even a, probably, there's not even a price for him on DraftKings as of the time of this recording. Yeah. So you'd have, um, but you'd have to I, I imagine he's going to end up being 
probably the most expensive. Um, he'll probably be 9,400 because Zalal is 9,300. So I imagine he'll be the chalk expensive guy on this card. But we'll talk about that at the back end. Anything else you want to say about this matchup or can we move on? Yeah, okay. So just, just capping off really quickly. It, it's tough if he's staying on weight, right? Like he's supposed to fight Trevin Giles. So you drop down, you make 185 pounds and now you got to drop down and make 185 pounds again. But it's very interesting. His last fight against Hernandez, he weighs 182 and a half. And the fight prior to that against Brendan Allen, 183 and a half. Mm-hmm. So chances are he probably just doesn't walk around that, that much. But yeah, just, just to give you the wrap up, we talked about Kevin Holland. It'd be disrespectful to not mention something about Joaquin Buckley, but he looked like a legitimate, a legitimate prospect coming out of St. Louis. 2016, he fights for Bellator. He got upset in his, in his uh, second fight for Bellator by Jackie Gauche. That's the fight that he ended up getting back in his last fight in LFA. He's like a poor man's version of Paul Semtex daily, like Semtex light. He likes to bob. He likes to stay in that pocket. He likes to just unload hooks on you. He's got big power. He's demonstrated that. The majority of his wins are going to come by knockout, but only his last two fights have been at 185. Prior to that, he was a career 170 pounder. He comes in here at five foot ten taking on Kevin Holland, who's six foot three. That becomes worrisome for anybody, but it becomes incredibly worrisome in this specific spot because, because he fights like Semtex, he likes to bob and weave and get in the pocket. And I just think there's going to be too much on the outside coming back from Holland. So Holland probably just chips him up from the outside, picks away at him, and uh, could get the knockout. But then again, Buckley went three rounds against Logan Storley, who's an absolute terrorizer, and Bellator, and that fight was at one seven. So take of that what you will. Kevin Holland's the play. If the line keeps getting bigger, which it looks like it's obviously going to, just hit a pass on it. You can definitely use them in DraftKings situations, but they've uh, yet to release a line. And it'll probably be something stupid like 9,400, 9,500, depending on he when they release it. should be the most expensive guy on the slate based on, his, yeah. based on his history of being a high scorer and the fact that he's going to be like minus 600, minus 700 by the time these guys actually uh, square off. I, I yeah. mean, in theory, he should be. Otherwise, if he's like 92, he's going to be Chalk City. Like, he'll be, like, if well, they drop him below the... Zalal, he'll be like 60, 70% owned, which is kind of crazy. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. But it just, what can you expect out of it? The most yeah. notable win on his resume is nobody. He, he, that's a lie. He beat Jeff that's Neal no once play. upon a time. No, no, Jeff Neal gassed out hard in the third round, and he beat Jeff Neal one yeah, time. Yeah, I remember watching that. Um, yeah, yeah, but but outside of that, like, you know, Gerald Mearshart on a split decision, Licio DiCirico didn't look great. Brendan Allen, he had a few spots, and then he ended up getting submitted. Anthony Hernandez, keep in mind, Anthony Hernandez, part of the alpha male downswing, one and two in the UFC. So should you bet that guy's a minus 700 favorite? Like, there was guys on Contender Series last night. That Jordan Levitt, eh? that was such a good – I'm the idiot that bet him at minus 220 and minus 185. He almost went off at even. He, he went off at minus 125. Yeah, I wish and I, I don't I, understand. I Do not understand. I didn't look at that last second, but I was just kind of scrolling through like their profiles and stuff, and I was like, I was I was intrigued by the Levitt guy, but then I saw the price and I was like, oh, okay, well, of course he ends up opening as like a big favorite or whatever. And then oh, I the saw money on the other side. I was when ready. I actually looked at the at the lines, like I was busy doing some other stuff last night, but when I was actually when I looked at it like last second, I was like, holy shit! It's like yeah, close like basically a pick'em. Um, I would have jumped on board if I had seen that beforehand. Yeah, and, and and my moral from that story is you looked at some of those fights, and it's like, leave it was way better than this guy. He looked apart. Um, you think he beat Von Lewis's brother like two weeks ago, Jackson Winklejohn fighter. Like, man, this guy's legit out of syndicate MMA. He had all he had all the goods, but he should have never been more than a 200 favorite. Um, Dustin Jacoby. Dustin Jacoby had every advantage in the world in that fight yesterday. Except for Chin. His opponent but, just could take damage. 
I know. And he'd been knocked out before, but man, his face was busted up and he mm-hmm. kept trucking through. And it was just like, oh, man. But even having all those advantages, being the clear cut favorite, no way Justin Jacoby loses this fight. It's still minus 300. And that was as much as you want to pay for because you understand the level that you're operating at. Kevin Holland could be good. Kevin Holland could develop to be something good. And a lot of these guys could develop to be something good, but you don't bet them as seven to one favorites this hot off the go. And that, that's, that's, we talked about one takeaway from last week. This is the biggest thing that killed me. We, we did very good last week. Last two fights got us. Last two fights, we went against our own advice. The underdog always seemingly wins by armbar from guard in a women's MMA fight. We should have not have touched that one, but we did. And, and exactly what could have happened happened. And then eh, I didn't have a 22 year old prospect, a 22 year old prospect over a 36 year old perennial top 10 guy is not usually a good spot, but it's never a good spot when you get the guy like minus 300, minus 400, just too big. Not he warranted. looked fine in round one. Kevin Holland looks too big. It's not warranted. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm getting at. So that's yeah. why it'll probably be a pass. Nazarite ha- Hakparaz takes on Alex Munoz. Nazarite Hakparaz minus 245 favorite. Alex Munoz plus 205. You may remember Alex Munoz from Dana White Contender Series. He had the impossible task of having to take on Nick Newell. Which is like, if you win, well, you beat the guy with the one arm. Uh, if you lose, well, you lost to a guy with one arm. Um, he ended up, and it was a almost a, it was almost a setup for them not to let Newell into the UFC because you know he's got one arm. It's tough for him to defend takedowns. Obviously, he's got a good submission game. But Munoz, team alpha male guy, wrestling seems to be on point. A decision machine um, was able to just stall basically take him down, hold him down, not get caught in any sort of submission or any sort of danger from that perspective, and wins the fight. Uh, very, very uninspiring performance. Has to go back to the regional scene. Obviously, they're looking for opponent here. Nazrak coming off the knockout against Drew Dober. And I feel like, you know, he's, what, 24 years old? I feel like people were ready to be like, oh, he's a total fraud. Oh, he's so, he's so busted. I'm not willing to give up on Nazareth Hawkbrows. I think this is a good matchup. The only thing is maybe Munoz's wrestling's on a certain level that he's able to take Nazareth down uh, consistently. But I think Nazareth absolutely torches this guy on the feet. So good bounce back spot for Nazareth Hawkbrows. What do you think about this one? Yeah, I completely agree. Not only does Alex Munoz have the impossible task of fighting Nick Newell, he's he's a he's basically a pick'em. He came into a pick'em. Versus a guy with one hand. Now, I cannot discredit Nick Newell. He is a hell of a fighter. Mm-hmm. But right off the bat, it's like the UFC were trying to give him at least a winnable fight here. We got Alex Munoz. He hasn't shown anything. When he fought Nick Newell, he hadn't fought in almost two years. Right After he fought Nick Newell, the UFC didn't give him a contract. So he beat a guy with one hand who he was near evening going into and didn't even get a contract. Didn't even look good enough to get a contract against a disabled fighter. Hell of a fighter. Makes that disability work into his credit. There's mm-hmm. there's no discrediting Nick Newell. I'm saying it wasn't a great performance for him. But he took a year off after that fight. Fought my boy Troy Lampson, former Michigan State University wrestler. And I liked Lampson, but it's, it's just not he's not in it right now. He's not fighting very well right now. He's a tough fighter, but it's a good win. But then he proceeds to take another year off. The guy fights like once a year at best. In fact, it's more than that. It's like once every 14 months is what it averages out to. He's just, what, what can you really take away here? But the UFC owes him a fight. 
I didn't really owe him anything, but here, Nazareth's 24. We thought he was going to be sky's the limit. He's another guy that I got, I got caught biting too into. I liked him a lot over Drew Dober. I bought into the hype, man, this guy's looking good. He's looked good over limited, but decent competition. Mark Casey, Joaquin Silva, most notably, he looks good in those fights. His striking offense. I mean, yeah, his, his punch output. I mean, it's stinging. He's getting better power. His takedown defense, ever since that Marcin held late notice fight in his debut, his takedown defense has just improved leaps and bounds. Man, this guy's really coming to his own. Moves to TriStar in Montreal. Bad move. But I'm going to rally behind this guy. Stick with him. Go into the Dober fight. This is I don't regret backing him in the Dober fight. Yeah, he lost. That's regrettable. I regret backing him to the tune of minus 350. Yeah. But that goes back into it's really easy. It happened to me. Really easy to happen to the public as well. Guy gives you a little bit of glimpse of something, and you just and Shabazian last week is the same thing. You jump right in. Oh, that get, was the problem I, with Nazareth. It's like I shit, get that me as a recovering uh, Max Roskoff. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's just it's easy to buy into the hype, and he's got world class coaches, and his world class coaches are telling you how good he is. It's like, man, this guy's this guy's legit. This guy's the real deal. I think this guy's going to be good. You hear good things, you like his style, and then he goes out there, and you just don't know until he beats legitimate fighters. Nazareth looks like a world beater. He looks like a contender. He looks like he's going to fight for a championship in the next two years against mid to low level competition. Now he fights Dober. It looks at the time like Dober is mid-level competition. Turns out Dober's a total badass. That's what catches him. Now he's returning against a guy that hasn't fought in a year. He's fought three times in the last four years. He Never took a one arm, a one-handed fighter to a decision and wasn't able to earn a contract. And he's a team alpha male guy. His coach is your eye favor. The whole gym is friends with Dana. Why would he have not gotten a contract? Josh Why did Emmett. he take a year off after the fight? It's just all not good. So anyways, what I'm getting at here is that he needs to wrestle. That's his bread and butter. He needs to wrestle. He's going to get stuffed by Nazareth. Nazareth's going to box him up. The price is good right now, 245. It's not going to get any better than that. It's going to go bigger, I think. Mm-hmm. Maybe people are going to come around to Nazareth. And uh, yeah, if you thought he was chinny, it's like, dude, Dober cracked him and Dober hits like an absolute beast. But going to Alex Munoz is like, he's a decision machine. He's a decision guy. So his only path to victory here is to take Nazareth down and grind him down the way Marcin Held did. Only he was 21 when he fought Marcin Held. Now he's filling out. Now he's getting better. Now he's getting bigger. Hopefully the quarantine situation has affected his training too much. I've learned my lesson from going too big on him. Although I'm definitely going to have shares here. Nazareth's my boy. I'm not willing to jump off him quite yet. And uh, I'm definitely going to have some exposure to him here. We got Wellington Terman taking on Andrew Sanchez. Terman, minus 155. Sanchez, plus 135. What's your take here? Yeah, I'm actually a little bit surprised with the line, but I'm going to go underdog Andrew Sanchez all day. I mean, listen. I'll tell you something. Andrew Mm. Sanchez is not impressed. That's a lie. That's a lie. Andrew Sanchez, mark my words on this. The first five minutes of the fight looks like a, a, a legit top contender. The next five minutes of the fight, he looks like a, a pretty decent mid-level guy. The last five minutes of the fight, he's the worst guy in the roster. And it's crazy because you just you got to you just got to put that towards I guess bad cardio. Let's just chalk it up to bad cardio. Mm-hmm. But for two, for ten minutes, this guy is going nonstop. He pushes the pace. He's doing it all, baby. And and let, that's the thing. And what I like about him, he can do it all. Yes, his best as a wrestler. He's a former two-time NCAA. Division one All-American, the guy knows how to wrestle. Beyond that, the guy's a decent striker. He packs a decent amount of power. He's striking pretty clean. And he trains out a K-Dojo Warrior tribe in Jersey. One of my favorite gyms. These guys are tough, tough Russian guys. Andrew Sanchez, through the fire, looks good. Goes on the ultimate fighter. 
He looks good. He's fighting big boys, and he's smashing through them. Uh, Phil Hawes, John Jones' training partner, big boy, 205-er. Eric Spicey's big boy, wins over Khalil Roundtree, who's now fighting at heavyweight. And this is middleweight Andrew Sanchez. Just absolutely runs through him with the takedowns. It's when he got into spots with guys that didn't tire and that could strike. That's the key to beating Andrew Sanchez, is he's going to out-wrestle you for 10 minutes. You need to survive those 10 minutes. But surviving against him is not the end of the world. He's a decision guy. You need to survive those 10 minutes, and then you need to put it on because he becomes tired, he becomes hittable, and then he's done. But up until that point, he's pretty decent talent. Anthony Smith, he looks good against him. He gets knocked down in the third round. Ryan James, dude, he 10-8'd Ryan James in the first round. He got knocked down in the third. Marvin Vittori, uh, you know, he's at least pretty decent the first few rounds. The Barrio fight, he's decent the first few rounds. He tires. So now we go to Wellington Tournament, and I think this is why I'm going to pick uh, Andrew Sanchez in this spot. Wellington Tournament is a one-dimensional grappler. He's just mm-hmm. a grinder. That's all he does. He doesn't throw punches. In the Carl Roberson fight, that's his debut. He, well, you see him on Contender Series. He's a grappler. Then his UFC debut against Carl Roberson, he scores four takedowns. Loses a split, by the way. Scores four takedowns, 25 strikes landed. Was not trying to punch him. Was just trying to get a hold of him, grind him, win the fight. Loses the fight. Now he gets Marcus Perez. He lands two takedowns. He just holds Perez down, controls him, wins the fight. Andrew Sanchez has never been taken down in the UFC. I don't expect this to be the first time. He is a very good wrestler. He's a very competent wrestler. Thurman's best bet is to grapple with them and wrestle with them hard for two rounds. Try and then hopefully Thurman finish him yeah. in round three. Right, but he doesn't have a propensity to finish guys late in fights. And so I'm thinking Sanchez might be able to just win the first two and then lose the third round and win one. And the same thing with the Roberson fight. He got four takedowns, uh, Terman did, and he lost the fight. Judges were just not impressed with it. Sanchez goes out there, squeaks this one out. Even if it's by split, I don't care. He's the underdog. Sanchez, by decision, wrestling be the key here. Those guys he lost to, keep in mind, volume punchers. Good cardio, volume punchers. Terman doesn't look to have good cardio. He is not a volume puncher. That hasn't been the style to beat Andrew Sanchez so far. So it's going to be sloppy once it gets past the second round. It'll be sloppy once it gets past one and a half, eight minutes of the fight, let's call it. But I think Sanchez is going to be able to control him up against the cage, maybe get a couple of takedowns of his own, outstrike him in the open field, do enough to get that decision. So Andrew Sanchez is going to be an underdog play for me. Well, you got, hold on. Sanchez by decision is plus 220, by the way. Yeah, so uh, let's go, baby. Because, again, Terman's 24 years old. He's young, but he's wily. He's lost. I mean, he's never been finished in his career, right? He's got two career losses. He's never been finished. Andrew Sanchez, meanwhile, has been going to decisions with Marc-Andre Barrio and Trevor Smith. He's not finishing anybody either. They're technically both speaking decision fighters. I mean, it's written right there for you. So whoever you have, I think you take by decision. I'm going Sanchez plus 125 as a decision prop plus 225 you're saying yeah no like it i like it a lot i'll uh i'll probably just focus on betting this fight live to be perfect what fight goes the distance pat fight goes the distance is minus 225 yeah there you go that yeah, makes sense that's, that's pretty juiced um we got gavin tucker taking on justin Janes. gavin tucker minus 135 favorite justin Janes. Plus 115. Both guys that when they first kind of came onto the scene um, wowed and surprised a lot of people. Uh, Gavin Tucker, we go back to 2017. Relative unknown from uh, Pat's hometown, I believe, of Halifax, Nova Scotia. He's actually from Newfoundland. 
Oh, is that he? That sounds like an insta fade. He traded. Uh, he trained. He trained there for a while, didn't he? Yeah, no, he spends a lot of time in Halifax for uh, sure. But okay. uh, I, I remember yeah, I saw that's, him on. That's why it, I saw him on a nickname. plane one time in. Uh, I think he was going to Montreal. Um, oh, I yeah? think it was to go to Pat's wedding way back when. Either oh, way. he's a good guy. Um, yeah, he was the guy. You know, he had tattoos and. Um, he looked like he was in really good shape. It was pretty and cauliflower ears. Like, That's wait a second, one. I've seen this guy before. And he got off in Montreal. It's like clearly, um, clearly who it was. Uh, but yeah, Gavin Tucker minus one thirty-five. Jane's plus one fifteen. Jane's obviously came in short notice. Frank Camacho. Everybody, everybody had Frank Camacho on their DraftKings lineup, and that just blew up in everybody's face. Um, but, you know, that's what Camacho does. Camacho goes in, tries to make it an absolute war, and you live by the sword, you die by the sword. Gavin Tucker, you know, impressive performance over Sam Cecilia. Then he kind of he gets injured. He disappears for two years, comes back. Or, sorry, he disappears for a bit, uh, comes back, and a, uh, Rick Glenn absolutely rearranged this guy. Has to take another two years off based on the damage that he took. Um, but the technical striking, the um, his movement and stuff from what we have seen is quite good. And clearly, at least from the Glenn fight, the guy can take an unholy amount of damage. Um, will he be able to hold up? Did that ruin him? I mean, we've only seen him once since then. He got the third round finish against uh, forget uh, Sing Sing Wu Choi, uh, oh. rear naked choke. <laughs> Not that Wu, uh, but yeah. Um, I think we get back on track here. I think he's the uh, more technical striker. Uh, 135 doesn't seem all that bad. I think Justin Janes, if we didn't see him pull off this miraculous first-round knockout uh, scenario that we did in his uh, UFC debut on super, super short notice, I think we're looking more at a minus 200, plus 170 type of thing. Are you on board with Gavin Tucker, or uh, are you staying away from this one? Listen, I'm absolutely on board with Gavin Tucker. I always have been. It's just I could not – I would not have bet in one million years. Does Rick Glenn beat him? Sure. Could be. It's a fist fight. I wouldn't have bet in a million years that Rick Glenn would beat this man with an inch of his life. Mm-hmm. Like, that was a bad, was bad, a bad, bad He needed beating, the two man. years off. Yeah, yeah. And then, and then, by the way, he gets beat up like that. He's like 32 years old. So yeah. it's like, okay, he's not coming back. Like, that was a – Cool little run. He was undefeated. Rick Glenn broke his, his undefeated streak. But you made it to the UFC. You want to fight in the UFC. You lost to fight in the UFC. Uh, I, if Dana has any resemblance of a heart, and even if it's a Grinch heart, it's just like a little tiny broken one, he would have cut this guy a check. Just been like, sorry, kid. Like, you ain't working anywhere for a long time, let alone you ain't wearing a desk job. Like, it was a bad beating. Mm-hmm. But there's no denying. Gavin Tucker's got the skills, man. Like, he, he's got good takedown defense. He's a very clean adequate striker i mean he's a smooth operator he's in and out he keeps his hands a little low for my liking but that's just his style he likes to counter punch likes to be the aggressor he's flashy he cuts good angles he catches guys off guard would you like to see a little bit more power out of him maybe but he's got good technical boxing before he was ever mma fighter he had worked a lot on his boxing and it does show since then he's got his brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt he's well around himself it's all good glenn beats him up again he's 32 so now he comes back he's 34 that kind of damage that kind of layoff you know, Glenn beating you, like Glenn's on a power puncher. That's probably the worst thing that happened to him is that Glenn can't knock you out. Otherwise, yeah. he would have just went out in the second round, and that would have been the end of it, right? But he took that beating all the way to the end. It was like, oh, just throw the towel in or something. But he's a warrior. It's when he comes back, a little bit older, 
against Suwu Choi. Man, he, he didn't look like he skipped a beat. Like, he looked smooth. He looked good. He looked like that guy that I thought he would be. You know, I don't know that he goes beyond top 15 guy, but he's going to give these young prospects of trouble. He's going to give some of these aging veterans a go. He's going to give these top 15, top 10 guys maybe a good go. He, he looked like the skills coming back. But then he takes another year off. If you know Gavin Tucker, Gavin Tucker's dealt with injuries his entire career. Just injured, 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 injured. Comes off, looks good, gets the win, you know, gets rebooked against Billy Carantillo, which would have been an awesome fight. He got coronavirus. Giving him that little bit extra time, I think it helps. I just think he's got Justin James's number. Justin James is the better wrestler. Justin James would like to get this fight to the ground. I think that's his best, best path to victory here. But I think Gavin Tucker's takedown defense is good enough to keep the fight standing. As the fight stays standing, I think Gavin Tucker, uh, he, he just, he lands the cleaner strikes and he's going to outpoint James. The one thing that worries me about James is you look just two fights ago. Yeah, he comes in against Frank Camacho and blows Camacho in 41 seconds. That fight against Camacho is at 155 pounds. The fight prior against James Warfield uh, is at 165 pounds. It's catchweight. Two fights before that, he fights Devin Brown at 170 pounds. This fight against Gavin Tucker is at 145 pounds. So if you thought James looked good against Camacho, and by the way, he, di- he didn't. He got busted up, hit clean, was bleeding, had a big laceration, but he got through it. He got through it, and he did exactly what he had to do. Screw wrestling in this fight. I'm taking it literally on so shut and ordinance. I just got to throw hands. He did throw hands. He got the job done. That's admirable. But in this fight against Tucker, I think Tucker will see it coming. I think when he throws those bombs, Tucker evades. Tucker lands the cleaner strikes. As far as Justin James trying to press the action and getting it to the ground, I think Tucker is able to uh, defend them. If he does take Gavin Tucker to the ground, Gavin Tucker's a better grappler. I think he's, he's going to be more than fine fighting off his back and defending himself and getting back up. Cardio, Tucker hasn't really shown an issue with cardio in the past. Now there is James, by the way. He has fought five rounds recently. So I think it's going to decision. I think Tucker takes the decision. So Gavin Tucker by decision. We got Yusuf Zalal taking on Peter Barrett. Yusuf Zalal minus 450 favor. Peter Barrett plus 360. Uh, any thoughts here? No, no. It opened up at 320, and I was just like, oh, baby, let's get Zalal. But it opened early. So it's like I haven't actually been able to look at it as much as I'd like to. And then by the time you finish tape studying it, he's 450. And then that's at the absolute most that you'd want to pay for him. But listen, he's got every advantage in the world over over Peter Barrett. I mean, he's a better striker. He's a better wrestler. He's got good – his cardio shouldn't be an issue. And he's really coming to his own. I mean, 23 years old, Paul, 23. And we're talking about earlier in the show about – guys that were 25 and they just weren't ready and they need more time to mature. Like this guy looks good. The Moroccan devil, he's already had his gut check performances fighting in LFA, which is as everybody knows the top regional promotion in the world. So what better way to cut your teeth than for LFA, but it's, it's since then the fly knee over Jamie Hernandez, man, fly knee kid looks comfortable. He's dynamic. It's coming to the UFC. He flips the script. Austin Lingo looks better. Austin Lingo is the champ, the LFA champ. He's undefeated. He just looks like a better prospect. Zalal flips the script. Doesn't even use the striking. Just out-wrestles this guy like nothing. Then the Jordan Griffin fight, it's like, okay, how are you going to do it against a guy that's just relentless and maybe has a little bit of size and is a good wrestler too? The guy puts it all together. And again, so young. He's just continuously going to get better and better. Look at Peter Barrett. Peter Barrett is the complete opposite. Peter Barrett, now 33 years old. I remember this guy when he himself was an undefeated top prospect. He used to fight um, basically like out Massachusetts way, right? Undefeated and then... It just kind of fell off for him. He, started, he got caught by Drew Morais. TJ Brown took him down five times, submitted him in the third round. Connor Barry rocked him in the first round, took him down, submitted him with an arm bar. Then he just takes years off, comes back, gets a shot on Contender Series. The first round of the Contender Series fight, Paul, could be a 10-8. He gets walloped. He gets outstruck. He gets taken down. And luckily for him, Sang Hu Yu gasses out. 
and he works his way back into it and he wins rounds two, he wins round three. Looking at this matchup, he's giving up the wrestling advantage of Zalal. Zalal wants to take him down, Zalal will. If Zalal wants to stand there and strike him, Zalal will. He's got every advantage. There's no way. I, I, I could not see Slippery Pete winning this unless it was just one of those fluke shots. I like Zalal. But I've really been making a point of, and I know it's the same thing, I fucked up on Jabazian. I don't want to hit these 450 price tags mm-hmm. on guys that are still so young. And because, unproven. Yeah, they he, just haven't, we haven't seen enough from them to know exactly how they're going to react in every single sort of situation, right? Yeah, and I'll, and I'll tell you the sad thing here, right? If he goes out there and he dominates Peter Barrett the way he should, people are going to be like, oh, fuck, he's for real. And then the next time out, <laughs> be like he's a minus 600 yeah. favorite over somebody. But, but Peter Barrett was not really should be there. Peter Barrett's not at that level. Peter Barrett's stepping up on like two weeks' notice, stepping in for Steve Garcia, the original opponent. He shouldn't be there. He's not ready. Guy didn't get his contract on a contender series. Um, I don't know. I would just have to say, I mean, it goes all the way to Zalal. But you you build on, oh, you beat nobody? Jesus, guy's good. Jeez, you beat nobody? Jesus, guy's real good. When he fights a real contender, and then you're going to get a good gauge of it. But the UFC is doing a good job. 23, don't make him fight a real contender right now. Let him fight these guys. He should win. 450 sounds bad, but he should win. I'm thinking by decision, but I've seen Peter Barrett get hurt a bunch of times and I've grappled a bunch of times. Don't feel good about it. Zalal seems a bit of a more decision guy to the flying knee smacks you in the face. So just give me use of Zalal 450. And again, don't love the price tag, but how much can I complain about that, right? Mm-hmm. And finally, we got Irwin Rivera taking on Ali Al-Kaisi. Um Irwin Rivera, minus 200 favorite. Uh, Al-Kaisi is plus 170. Irwin Rivera obviously was put in like a next to impossible spot, fighting up at featherweight against Giga Chikads. Wasn't able to, like, he was giving up so much reach, so much technique. Kind of gave a pretty good accounting for himself based on, like, real, it was, what, a couple days notice? Yeah. Um, wait, just, wait. you know, went out there, was able to take a hell of a punch, was able to, you know, eat all of the shots, Kind of kept coming forward. Made it a lot more difficult fight for Giga than I think myself included. A lot of people thought were um, what, uh, what he was going to be able to put up, especially in that type of situation. Now he gets a opponent who legitimately, like, looking through his uh, Al-Qaizis, he's 8-3, eight, eight and three, and like looking through this guy's record. I mean, one, I don't recognize the name. Two, everybody he fights is like five and four, five and three. Um, I mean, clearly he hasn't fought anybody. I haven't watched tape on him any uh, yet, but this should be Rivera's fight to lose, one would think. What, 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 what's your thoughts on this one? Yeah, so I decide, you know what? Who is Ali Al-Kazi? Because he's getting a lot of support. Not support on the line, but because he's from Jordan and I think he fights a little bit in the Middle East, he's got a good following. They want to see this guy in the UFC. They think he's going to be a good fighter in the UFC. I got tape study of this guy. So I'll jump into who is this man. Turns out he's a Sanda specialist. Turns out he's a two-time Sanda world champion. Thing is, where are the Sanda world championships? And also, who's competing in the Sanda world championships? But I digress. He's an MMA fighter now. He goes into the fights. He throws long enough. To shoot a takedown on you. Like, I don't, he's not trying to strike with you. I know Santa's got a lot of throws as well, but it just looks like he wants to get a hold of you, get a hold of you, grapple with you, take you down, try to control you where he can. He's got a, oh, he's got a little bit of submissions, but like you said, he's submitting very low level guys. Erwin Rivera, again, he's another one of these guys that's just got 
the advantages almost everywhere. I mean, he trains, trains out of um, hard, hard Knocks 365, yep. some of the best guys in the world. Mm-hmm. He takes a fight on two days' notice against a world kickboxing champion. You want to talk about world Santa champion? Let's talk about a world kickboxing champion in Giga Chikas. Didn't look out of place. Got smoked, way undersized. Shouldn't have been there. But didn't look terribly out of place. It wasn't, it wasn't embarrassing. You factor in he took that fight at 145 pounds when he is not a featherweight. His hands five foot six, shouldn't have been a featherweight, still gave him a go. Geez, this guy's not bad. Then you look at his him fighting at Bantamweight. He's a former Titan FC champion. Cardio, not a problem. Striking, not a problem. If you do take him down, he'll scramble, he'll get back up. He makes you work. Cardio, really good. Keeps going. Al Casey didn't look like his cardio was all that good. So I think that even if he does get a couple takedowns early in the Rivera fight, Rivera just is able to work his way back up. Once he does get back up, he should have the striking exchanges. He should grind him up. The only point I do want to make on this fight, probably sound like a bit of a broken record in a lot of spots here, is that uh, in what world, Paul, do you bet? Actually, that's a lie. He was minus 200 favor yesterday. I see he's a minus 175 now. I'd bet Erwin Rivera at 175. I was going to say, in what world do you bet Erwin Rivera as a minus 200 favorite over anybody? Come on. Come on. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the fact that, the fact that he he's just bad, he's got advantages. The fact that he's just in the room with those guys leads me to believe like, you know, the, the, the quality of his training partners is a massive step up from anything I see. Like this Al Qaeda, I'm yeah. Yeah. I don't see any, any reason why he should be signed in the UFC right now based on, I haven't looked at tape yet. So maybe that'll change when I see him, but like he hasn't fought anybody. And uh, and he doesn't even have a great record when fighting nobody. So we'll we'll see how it shakes out. But um, yeah, Rivera yeah. Rivera wasn't all that bad. He trains with a good camp. He's super super durable. Cardio is great. I mean, he should probably win this fight. Yeah, you know, I I, I made the mistake Manuel Aziz's fight. It was like ah, he looks pretty hittable. He looks fairly rigid. I think Razak Al-Hassan is going to hit him with the moneymaker and put him down. The guy hasn't really fought anybody. He's fought on a low. Don't really know why he's in this spot. Turns out the guy's just got a wealth of skills you don't really see on tape. But guys that were high on him, they knew all about it. Yeah. This guy, there are people that are high on him. I don't see it. But maybe he's going to come in and be twice the guy I thought he was. And for that reason, I don't want to bet Irwin, as I said, 200. If he's 175 right now. I think I, I think that would be worthy of a, of a small play anyway. So Rivera, by decision specifically, would be the play for me. All right, let's get into the DraftKings breakdown for UFC on Vegas six or UFC Vegas six. Um, we're gonna I'm gonna throw Holland into the nine K range because that's where he should be priced. So Holland, uh, Zalal, Nazrat Hakpras, Benil Dariush, those are the guys above nine K. Um, I think it's Holland or Nasrat. Those are the guys to go to. Um, I'm not sure. I think Holland probably has the highest ceiling. Um, that's the guy for like GPPs that I would go to. I think Nasrat, even though the odds wouldn't indicate, Nasrat probably is the safer play because uh, you know Kevin Holland is a, he'll he'll go in there and kind of do whatever the hell he wants on that given day. He's an entertainer, I would say, first and a fighter second. But he's a guy who's developing, obviously, as we go on. Um, do you like anybody up there? Or which guys do you like up there uh, between the 9K range? 
so yeah, looking at the high end of, of the card, I mean, we don't have a price on Kevin Holland quite yet, so it'll be interesting in what they put him at. We're going to assume he's the top guy, so let's just talk about what we do have available. Yusuf Zalal, I don't see it at the $9,300 price range. He's technically speaking the most expensive guy right now. You go back to his fight with Austin Lingo, and there's a fight he dominates, and he gets four takedowns, and he still scores less than 85 points. So even if he goes out and has the exact same performance against Barrett, gets four takedowns, outstrikes him, takes mm-hmm. him down, dominates him, and he ends up with 83 to 85 points, it's not enough. Even if he had 90 points, it just probably wouldn't be enough to be on that optimal. So he's a little too expensive for what I think you're going to get out of him. They're assuming Pete Bear is just going to roll over. I don't think that's the case, but I do think he's outgunned. I'm looking more specifically at Neil Dariush and Nazareth Hack for us. But Neil Dariush, $9,100, of course, expensive, risky. Yes, just like you talked about. But he is a GPP play because he's always going for it to his full capabilities. Finishing close shows you, man, this guy can finish anybody given the right. He can submit you. He can knock you out. Just got to get you in that spot. So let's just look at his last four fights, his quick winning streak. 87 points, 111 points, 110 points, 94 points against Camacho, Dober, Moises, and uh, obviously Drakkar Close. So here's a guy that is, can score takedowns, knockdowns, submission, but he's getting re- in that range of over 100 points majority of his starts. I like Benil Dariush. Looking down at Nazareth, Nazareth's also a decent play because in the Thibaut Gaudi fight, he has 102 points on 124 significant strikes. Guy just keeps punching until you go down. Gaudi doesn't go down. Nazrat scores 100 points without a finish. The next fight against Silva, Silva does go down. Eventually, he just can't take the punches anymore. He falls over. It's 91 points. Not quite as good. But what I'm getting at is he just keeps racking you up points until you either fall over or you last the distance. He's going to score some points. So I think that Nazrat is when you're going to be more in your more expensive plays that I think is good. The other guys that are kind of in that range, Erwin Rivera, no thank you. Giannis Kunzkea, no thank you. Derek Lewis, he's 8,700. You're going to need some no, optimal don't play Derek, Derek Lewis. Never no, play Derek Lewis. Lewis, let me go through. I knew you I knew that you're going to need one of the two. Derek guys. Lewis, he won his last fight. He scored 40 points. The fight before, against Latifi, against a, a light heavyweight who's like five foot eight. Um, against Ivanov, 50, 53.5. Lost against J- JDS, 3.5 points. Lost against Cormier, of course. Those are the tough fights. Two points in that. Volkov. Round three, Hail Mary victory, 79 and a half. He's 87, so he's not even paying off in that situation. And Ganu, obviously, that fight, there was like basically nothing that happened. Tybura is the last time that at 8,700, he even like 10X'd himself. And that's because he got two knockdowns, which obviously are on the table. But Derek Lewis, based on his significant strike count, he has this reputation as being a first-round finisher. It's usually like a second or third-round finish. He doesn't. He doesn't pay off as a DraftKings play. I think in that main event, it's it's Olenek or uh, or pass. Yeah, I'm going to disagree with you on that point. Just because, again, we're all talking about how it's probably going to be an under two and a half, under two and a half, under two and, or under one and a half, under one and a half, under one and a half. So yeah, he doesn't score a lot on the basis of he's not putting away these guys he's fighting. But if Olenek just goes out there and goes out on his on his shield. He's just going to topple over and Lewis will score points on the basis of getting a second or third round finish. I understand 100% what you're saying. He's not scoring points against these guys, okay? Latifi, very, very durable. Much superior wrestler. Takes him down, holds him down. Ivanov, cast iron. You do not finish this man. Dos Santos, cast iron. Daniel Cormier, cast iron. Volkov, cast iron. Francis Ngannou, cast iron. Oh, I'm sorry that he's not finishing those guys. I really am. But when you give him Victor Pesta and you give him Marcin Tybora and you give him Shamil Abdurakimov or Travis Brown, he finishes them and he scores decent. And I think this is closer to that spot. So I think at 8,700, he's going to end up on a I good mean, lineup. But I do Tybura, know what you're saying. That Tybora fight, Cody, he had a takedown. Derek Lewis had a takedown. 
So you two, take actually. away these. You, you take down. You take away those. Points. You take away those two knockdowns and the takedown. There's 25 points off of it. He, uh, you know, I guess you. Okay, let's take away one of the knockdowns. So 15 points off of that. You're getting to 76 points. Like Derek Lewis just isn't a, isn't a DraftKings score. That's that's just how it, how it rolls. Abdurakhimov when he won in round four. Will he get 67.5 points? He got taken down a whole bunch of times. Like, I don't know if I'm buying into the under one and a half, to be perfectly honest. Yeah, no, I hear you there. Like, that's, not that's, where, that's, that's not where I'm at. You are more than welcome, Cody, to play Derek Lewis in your lineups. I'm just, I'm not playing him. I feel like I should make you a bet, potentially a song bet, a shoey, potentially a shoey, shoey bet. bet. I mean, what, at what price point would you not want Lewis? If he scores 90 points and he's 8,700, would you be happy with 90 points? I'd be happy with 90 points, but like the last time he scored okay, 90 so he points scored was Ty in 2018. Well, hold on here. I, yeah, I, but all he fights is good guys. Cody, They're finally giving him a 43 Latifi was a good man. guy. He was completely outmatched. He should have, like, that should have been a pound. Oh, world-class wrestler. World-class wrestler. Shouldn't have so been fighting at heavyweight. Don't get me wrong. Should not have been fighting at heavyweight, but still. Here's the thing, though. Like, when you look at it, you have 8700 bucks. Like, it's great if he scores 90 points or whatever, but if Dariush and Nazrat score, like, 120, like, you can't have Derek Lewis. No. Because you, you can't afford him. Then you're sacrificing having one of those guys by having Derek Lewis. Watch. This is, this is, yeah. the, this is the one time he's going to get the first-round finish. And I mean, I get... Okay, 90 points. Let's set the line at 90 points. If Derek Lewis scores under 90 points, I'll do a shooting next week. If you... If he scores over, or wait, the other way around. Yeah, yeah. Ninety yeah. If points. Scores, so if he scores over ninety points, uh, then I do a shoey. If he scores under, you do a shoey. You're gonna be in studio. I, I mean, next week is a pay per view, Cody. The, it's the the people. There'll be more eyeballs on that one. Um, yeah, so, yeah. So I think yeah. that would be a good way to start the show next week. Shoey bet. Uh, I can't shake your hand right now. I mean, it's COVID. I would never touch your hand. Oh my god. But um, but yeah, that we have a deal. We have a deal. I can't see you. I can't hear you. But no, yeah. no. Listen, it's a terrible deal. I'll take that deal. But it's a terrible deal for points. me because now, because oh, yeah, it's a terrible now, deal. I thought, no, no, I thought no, he was going to. I thought we were talking about unders. Oh, now, now well, we're back. I'll tell you why it's a bad deal. I'll tell you why it's a bad deal because you. I need Lewis to win and win convincingly, right? Yeah. So now, now I'm taking this. That's bet. why you I'm play him on draft. I'm betting him. I'm betting him to win, and he has to kick your ass and get over ninety points. And I don't score my points and you still win. So bet me straight up if you're so confident. You hear, That's what we should do, do you right you here. Right the, now. Do you hear hey, the squeak in there, Pat? Do you hear the do you hear the squeaking on the uh, on the back pedal for uh bet for me, the, the bite that Cody's running? Right you now? won't do it. Why would we? Why do he's a plus one seventy. He's a plus one seventy. Why are you turning? Why are you turning this into something that it isn't? No, we were talking about DraftKings and how he's a bad DraftKings play, and you were like, "Oh my God, Derek Lewis, lock him into your lineups." So we're doing a shoey bet, ninety points deal. Okay, if Derek Lewis wins, you gotta do a shoey. If Alexi Olenek no, wins, no, 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 no. Okay, For well, sure. he, all right, Cody's Cody the coward, not willing to do a shoey bet on ninety points. I have some questions here. For the two of you. Rapid fire. Okay. Cody, who scores the most takedowns on this card? I don't know. Where's the lineup? <laughs> Paul, do you have any, any idea? <laughs> Honestly, well, man, this is a dusty, dusty, Yeah, dusty these are the kind of things you should we should know we're being asked, and then it's like I could look at it, but there's 
12 fights. So Honestly, it's like, man, I, like, I have no, I, Andrew, I actually Andrew don't Sanchez? even have an answer for like, Yeah, I guess Sanchez's yeah, wrestling no, you know ability Yusuf, could be Yusuf way Zalal, above. Yusuf Zalal gets the most takedowns on this card. Yeah, go I guess. Best I don't know. First round knockout chance. First round knockout. Paul Boy getting slept in the first round. So probably uh, Derek Lewis KOs him in five <laughs> seconds based on Paul's confidence. Are we level. doing that? Wait, wait, wait. Did he got off the hook for that shoey bet? It sounds like he's not going to do it. It's a, be- it's a bum bet. All right, then, so, so you're not... Let me straight up. So Let me so- straight up. Why would I tell you he's a plus 170? Okay, let's just move on. Uh, there, I uh, guess... Sounds like I- you're the coward. You're scared of a plus one. So- you literally <laughs> said he was a great play. I said he was a bad play, and then you wouldn't, and then you wouldn't take my action. 90 points. Apparently, he's the best play on the slate. You wanted to, you wanted to play him. Now, when we set the line at 90 points, you don't want to play the game? That's okay. We can move on. Um, in terms of first-round knockout... I mean, maybe Holland's in the mix. If he comes out and looks like he did on his last fight, he, he looked great. Um, otherwise, I guess Lewis, but yeah, Lewis usually takes his time. If he lands something big, he's, he can knock out anybody, obviously. Um, it's, it's definitely in the cards. It's a dusty card, man. Um, it's really hard to like feel great about, like, oh, this guy is the guy who's going to go out and do that. All right, last thing for me, Cody, for, for you. Weidman Nazrat Parlay pays plus 150. Yeah, yeah, I think uh, you're, yeah, I, I like it. Uh, Weidman's the risk factor on there, but he's also just great value. Minus mm-hmm. 135, I think you can't really pass on that. Because it's such good value, I don't feel the need to parlay him with anything. I would bet him straight up, and I'm not going to let Chris Weidman shit my apple pie because it has happened in the past, although I do think this is a super favorable matchup. I prefer to try to go Nazrat Hakparas with Yusuf Zalel and not get quite as good of a price tag. I also really like. I think I'm gonna. I think I'm gonna end up locking in Tucker pretty good. Sanchez is my dog of the week. I would say. Um, Benil Dariush. I'm definitely gonna give him one last shot on that. And then the rest of them are pretty well pass worthy fights. Uh, Chris Wyman, I think is the is my favorite DraftKings play. Eight thousand. I think he's gonna be super chalk though. Is the problem. He's a favorite and he's eight thousand dollars. But uh, historically, in winnable fights, he's a pretty good score. Um, obviously, he's taken on the top guys in the world at, at uh, 185 pounds primarily. And then, obviously, Dominic Reyes uh, last time out. Uh, yeah, Chris Wyman, 8,000, seems like a, a very good cash because Omari doesn't usually finish people and GBP play. Um, he, he's a guy that I'll be locking in. Uh, how do you feel about that? Yeah, no, I don't think he's that bad at all. Looking at that lower range, if you try to save some money, obviously, as much as fucking me and Paul are arguing about it, Olenek at $7,500 because there's a lot of upside there. The other two guys that are really close to that price range are Mackie Patolo and Andrew Sanchez. Again, you've got to get a dog if you're trying to save some money on that lower end. Mackie Patolo is just going to throw. If he can manage to not get taken down against Darren Stewart, he could defeat him with his hands. He's only 7600 Andrew Sanchez, meanwhile, hey, man, we love takedowns. We love gra- grappling, although he does a lot of cage work. He could be mm-hmm. an underdog that gets the win, doesn't score a whole lot. That's worrisome. And then the last thing on a punt, I would put it in the same category as an Olenek punt. Eh, maybe not as much. Olenek's at least a potent finisher. But this, this Julia Stolarenko, she is an unknown, but she goes for it. $7,400. If she springs one of those first-round arm bars from guard over Giannis Kuninskaya, uh, that hard to imagine she's not on the optimal, right? So those are some of the cheaper plays. Guys like Peter Barrett, I don't like. Scott Holtzman, definitely a live dog. I'm not going with him, so I don't want any exposure there. Alex Munoz, not taking him. Alec Casey, don't like him. And then at least you get something you can work with in uh, Stolyarenko, Olenek, Batolo, and Sanchez for some of those uh, cheaper value plays. 
All right, we're just about done. Before we get out of here, hit him with the PRP. Okay, so again, we're going with uh, another fairly heavy uh, favorite kind of PRP, but it all adds up. We're going, I'm going to go Derek Lewis as the favorite, Chris Weidman as the favorite, Darren Stewart going to take him by decision as well. I'm, you should pass here. You should pass here. I'm going to take Stoli Rankliff. That's going to be dog number one. Benil Darius, favorite. Kevin Holland, going to be off as a huge favorite. Steropoli, uh, I'm going to take Tim Means. That's another pass, and I don't even like that as much as the women's fight. I just, Tim Means knows how to blow it for me. Plus 120, I'll give him one more shot. Nazareth, that's my favorite play. Andrew Sanchez, another dog. That's my favorite dog. Gavin Tucker, minus 135, seems a like good value. Uses allow 450, not great. Take him by decision, probably get a little bit better. And then Erwin uh, Rivera, again, going to go by him by decision and just hope that Alcazi's a little outgunned, but uh, but game and just is able to last the 15 minutes. And Erwin Rivera, 175, not nah, great. Erwin Rivera by decision is... Wait a second, guys. By decision, plus 158. So it's just like, yeah, that's that's not bad. Erwin um, Rivera? Yeah, yeah. So another, another Rivera by decision. That may be a nice little. I like that. I like. Yeah, it's another another possible plus money play there. So yeah, I think that there's good spots to make money on this card. Again, it goes back to just the theory of people want parlays. People want to put guys together. Sometimes if you can just get a plus money prop parlay per fight, just like take the one prop. The problem with going deep on parlays is like I'll make you want a quick one right there's here. A lot of untrustworthy love, guys on this card. Yeah, well, yeah, I love Nazrat. Okay, we'll take Yusuf Zalal. Geez, I guess I'll put Kevin Holland on there because he's such a big favorite. And uh, and then and then Chris Weidman. That's like you got four guys. Three of them have shit in a lot of pies in their day, old boy. Mm-hmm. It's like you know one of those guys could blow it for you. Whereas you keep it simple: two, three fights, props per fight. If you think it's going to be the over, you got a guy who's a favorite, but you think he's going to win a decision get a better price on it. That's probably the way to make money on this card. But of course we're going to throw, we're going to take shots at it regardless. You know how we do Paul. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. All right. Well, I think that wraps it up for us this week. Want to thank Cody Safdick, despite being a little bit too much of a coward to, uh, to take my Derek Lewis. Happy birthday, Cody. Happy birthday. That's Cody. Right. Everybody wish ha- Cody at CJ Safdick a happy birthday. It's a belated happy birthday at this point, but, uh, he had a birthday this week. Um, and yeah, so thanks, Cody Savick, breaking down the uh, breaking down the fights with me as always. Thanks to Pat, uh, pr- uh, prop, prop producer Pat Mayo, uh, behind the scenes, keeping us in line here. So for Pat and Cody, I'm Paul saying goodbye and good luck. Mayo experience. Experience.